Well, we're glad you're joining us this morning. We are starting a new series. We usually take a topic and talk about it for four or five weeks. And this new topic is Essential Faith. And this video is a summation of Hebrews chapter 11. And we won't get there today in the series, but we'll get there eventually. So, faith. Faith's foundation. What is faith's foundation? I don't know how many of you and your weddings, those of you who are married, they read part of 1 Corinthians 13. It's called the love chapter. Um, but I often use it in weddings. But the in, it's interesting to me how that chapter ends. So that's where I like, want to start this morning. It says this, But now faith, our topic, hope and love remain. These three virtues must characterize our lives. So these are like three pillars. And he said, but the greatest of these is love. And we talk about love a lot, which, is, which we should do. But we need to talk about these other two as well. So we're going to talk a lot about faith and a little bit about hope in this series. So, start with the question. What is faith? Seems like it should be an easy question to answer. But if you start looking at the Bible and, and religious teachings, it gets a little more complicated than that. Uh, the Bible says, Paul wrote this, that by grace you are saved through faith. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. All right, so I enter into a relationship with God by from grace through faith. Then James, the half-brother of Jesus, he wrote later in his little letter that faith without works is dead. Okay, so is it all faith? And what part does works play in it? And what about Big faith and little faith. Well, Jesus said that if you just had as much faith as a grain of mustard seed, and that's really small, it would fit about in, the, in there. <laughs> you could move a mountain. Anybody moved a mountain lately? I haven't moved any mountains lately. Does that mean I don't have any faith? Or I, my faith is smaller than that? How do you explain that? <clears throat> um, it's Bible also says without faith it's impossible to please God. And if you desire to please God, then you've got to have faith, whatever it is. So, what is faith? And what is the difference between faith and hope? Um, we often use the word hope in, in reference to kind of like wishful thinking. You know, I hope it stops raining. I'm going to say, I hope it doesn't rain, but it's already raining. I hope it, doesn't, I hope it stops raining this afternoon. Or, you know, I, I hope, you know... The weather's nice tomorrow, or I hope uh, somebody calls me, or somebody accepts my invitation, or whatever it might be. Well, what is the difference? And we use the term, you know, I'm just trusting God, I'm just trusting God, I'm just trusting God. Well, what, what does that mean? And how does faith impact God? Uh, we pray in faith, I mean, we talk to God, we ask for things in faith, how does that impact God? How does God respond to that? Um, <clears throat> we ask and we expect an answer. We hope that the answer is the one we've the, the answer we'd like. Uh, but we don't always get the answer we like. So, can I get God to do stuff that He doesn't uh, wouldn't normally do? Is that faith? And we love the stories about people praying and these miraculous things happen. Uh, my wife just told me about somebody that had some kind of growth and they took him to the hospital and they wanted to do surgery on him and they did another scan or whatever, the, the growth was gone. People prayed for him and, you know, these miracles happen. 
but I would say they're the exception rather than the rule. So how does this faith and, and interaction with God, how, how does it all work? I mean, many of us are, are quote, Christians or religious people, um, and we believe it, but it's kind of hard to figure out what it is. There's some kind of cause and effect about faith and what goes on around us, but what exactly is that? And how do I take advantage of it? How do I plug into that? So just questions. I, I, I'm going to kind of warn you up front. There's going to be more questions after I finish this morning than answers. We're going to answer what the foundation of our faith is, but these other questions are going to take a couple weeks to, to, get, to get the answers. So what is the foundation of your faith? Now, we're obviously talking about Christianity, but there's lots of other faiths, and any kind of worldview or faith system has a foundation. It's what you lean on, what you depend on, what, you're, what you're, you feel is secure. And even if it's not uh, a religious faith, maybe you have faith in yourself, where you're leaning on yourself, where you're depending on yourself, and consequently only you can let yourself down in that case. Now, this might not sound like a very exciting topic, but it affects all the decisions and, and approach we look or have toward life. <clears throat> so, I thought we'd start with the negative. I don't know about you, but I have actually relatives and other people that I know that used to be, quote, in the faith, but now are not in the faith. They grew up in the church, and they, as adults, they gave it, gave it up. So the, my question is, as somebody that promotes the faith, Christ, Christianity, why do people leave it? And maybe you're thinking about leaving it. We're high-profile pastors and authors have been leaving recently. Uh, so maybe that's where you are. Or maybe you've never entered the faith, and you, these are reasons you haven't. <clears throat> so let's look at a couple of these reasons. First one I'm going to say is lifestyle decisions. Now, for example... Whether you grew up in a church or not, you might have been taught by your parents or the church that honesty is the best policy. It's best to be honest. And so you bought into that. Not that we all always tell, always tell the truth, especially as teenagers. Uh, but that was your kind of a, 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 one of the morals you had in life. And so you grew up, you got a job, and in this job you found out that part, normal practices not tell the truth. To literally lie, and maybe it's in sales or some other part, kind of business. And so, at that point, you have a dilemma. I was taught this was wrong. Uh, my job requires me to do this. So, what are your options? Well, I could just continue to feel guilty that I'm, I'm doing this and I shouldn't do this. I could quit the job. Now, maybe financially, uh, that's not possible. Or I adapt. I change. I change my moral values, if you will. <clears throat> now, did I change because of some research, and I researched this, and I checked this out, and the best thing for me to do is not to be honest? No. Best decision for your lifestyle, your lifetime decision is, hey, it's okay not to always tell the truth. So I put it this way. We change the way we behave and then we change the way we believe, mostly to ease our conscience. A um, couple other things I thought about connected to, to church was like 
financial giving. We have a term in church called tithing. That's 10%. It's taught in the Bible. Uh, the New Testament actually goes beyond that. It says we are supposed to be as generous as God has blessed us with. And so most of us are pretty prosperous. <clears throat> so we ought to be pretty prosperous. But statistics show us that less and less people are even tithing, giving that 10%, much less giving more than that. Now, now how does that happen? I taught our kids, I don't know. I'm assuming my, some of my kids, I taught my kids to tithe. And when they were little and they got a dollar, they give 10, 10 cents to church. And they got $10, they give a dollar. But what happens is when you start making $100 or $1,000, giving $100, that's a little more difficult, isn't it? And so life goes on and maybe you get to financial difficulties and you say, I can't afford to give that much. And your life doesn't fall apart after that, so maybe I don't need to give that much. And so many, all kinds of ministries are, uh, are suffering financially because of people's lifestyle decision that giving that much money isn't that important. I thought about the Sabbath, um, um, keeping it holy, not working on the Sabbath. <clears throat> when I started pastoring, stores weren't open on Sunday, made it a little easier. Nobody cut their grass on Sunday. And we saw somebody cutting their grass on Sunday. We said, they were Adventists. They went to church yesterday, so they're cutting the grass today. All kinds of people cut their grass now. If you cut your grass on Sunday, that's fine. I'm not condemning you. I'm just saying that, that the idea that this day is set aside to be special and we shouldn't work, it's just kind of passe now. And we all do this in some areas of our lives. We ease our conscience. We make lifestyle decisions. Another reason we drop out or lose our faith or abandon our faith is what I'm going to call unexplained circumstances. Whatever your, your uh, philosophy of life is, you have a formula. I'm going to use the word formula. You, you think if I do this, this, and this, this will happen. Well, health issues. If I eat this way and I don't eat too much and I exercise, then I'm going to be healthy. All right? In the church, we have, you know, I read my Bible, I pray, I go to church um, at least once in a while, and God's going to look down and say, hey, he's in church, and God's going to pat me on the back. So we're trying to, find, for, to receive God's favor. And so we have our formulas. The problem is there is no formula, is there? I do this, this, and this, and this happened this time. I do the same things the next time. And that doesn't happen. Uh, so we're trying to figure out God, and we look at circumstances, and we say, okay, did this, this, and this, something good should happen, and it didn't happen. Or I didn't do what I should do, and nothing bad happened to me. Unexplained circumstances. So we begin to lose our faith because God isn't acting the way we think he should act. You should have healed this person. You should have... Get, got me that job. You should have had him or her call me back, uh, accept my invitation to go out on a date or whatever it might be. Or my marriage to stay together and it fell apart. And another reason, and I'll touch on this quickly, is what I call changing emotions. Um, we, uh, many of us have been in worship services or experience, and it's been very emotional. Uh, some song, for example, really touched us. There's this song, People Need the Lord. Every time I hear that song, I get a t tear in my eye. It, it, it just touches me. 
and we'd been in these uh, religious services or experiences, and we got all emotional, and we, you know, God, I'm all in, and then days later or weeks later, what's happened? The emotion's gone, and the commitment's gone. We've lost or abandoned our faith. So I'm going to lump these all together and, and call it circumstantial faith. My faith is based on circumstances. If I can figure God out and my formula works, I've got faith. If I can't figure God out, then I don't. So it's based on what I see or what I experience or don't experience. So again, whether it's in a, a, in a personal relationship um, with parent-child, um, spouses, girlfriend, boyfriends, whatever it might be, financial situation, health situations, whatever. Now the problem, big problem with circumstantial faith is this. It's always fragile, very fragile. <clears throat> Give me a couple of reasons why it's so fragile. First off, <laughs> we're not good at interpreting at events. You ever notice how random life seems to be, how chaotic it seems? Again, you do this, this, and this, it happens this way one time, you do it again another time, and whole different outcome. There seems not to often not be a cause and effect. Um, some people that don't take care of their health leave, live to be 100. Somebody that's really healthy, um, just reading about a couple of famous runners, I'm a runner, famous runners that died like at 50. Um, you think running will keep you healthy. So it doesn't seem to be a cause and effect. And if you would have dropped in on my kids when they were small, and you ask them, if, does daddy love you? It depends on the circumstance, right? If I had just made them, um, they wanted to go out and play, and I wouldn't let them go out and play, or if they, as teenagers, they want to go someplace, I wouldn't let them go, their answer would be what? No, no, God, dad doesn't love me. Or if they're small, if I made them eat their vegetables, well, God, dad doesn't love me. He wouldn't make me eat my broccoli, or whatever it might be. <coughs> So we're not good at interpreting events. I'll give you a, a, a more personal illustration. <clears throat> well, let me ask the people that are here. How many of you didn't marry your first love or your first serious boyfriend or girlfriend? You didn't. Raise your hand. Okay, I'm not the only one. Okay. All right, so I was in college. I had a serious girlfriend. Her name was Debbie also. And uh, <clears throat> after, I don't know, Six months or something, she broke up with me. Can you imagine that? Breaking up with me? Anyway, she did. <laughs> she broke up with me. And I was heartbroken, of course. And um, only time in my life I couldn't eat. Most of you know me. I eat a lot. It's hard to, hard to tell. But I had no appetite. I was heartbroken. So, God, why did you do this? Why did you let this happen? A couple of years later, though, Guess what? I'm walking to a church. I met a young girl, also by the name of Debbie. And um, you're, uh, let me put this, she was younger, better looking inside and outside than my first Debbie. So when God takes something away from you, it gives you something better, right? And of course, she's been my wife for almost 45 years now. And I couldn't have a better uh, life partner, or especially ministry partner. And those folks that are here would agree with me, wouldn't you? Shake your head. Absolutely. All right. So we're not good at interpreting events, are we? What seems to be bad now may be something good. Another thing is our time frame isn't long enough. 
one of my favorite stories in Scripture, a guy named Joseph, way back at the beginning of the Old Testament. And from the age of 17 to like 32, 15 years, prime age of, uh, years of life, he was either a slave or a prisoner. It's mind-boggling. I can't imagine. The other mind-boggling thing about the story is, and it's quite a long story in Scripture, actually, uh, he remained faithful to God when, did he have any evidence? No evidence at all. It went from bad to worse, from slavery to prison. Yet he stayed faithful. And if you know the story, eventually he became the second most powerful person in the whole world. He went from prison to there. And God used, it, used him to uh, provide for the Israelites food so they wouldn't be wiped out, God's chosen people. And so, if his time frame was 14 years, he would have been out of luck. But he was faithful for 15 years, and God rewarded that. I'll give you a, a more recent uh, example. <clears throat> Two guys in 1978 were working for a little hardware store, and they got fired. Now, I've never been fired, but I can imagine that being a traumatic experience. And I don't think you go home and say, hey, it's the best thing that happened to me today. I got fired, right? So these guys were pretty devastated. <clears throat> Let me tell you the name of one of them, Arthur Blank. Anybody know who he is? He actually, him and this other guy, founded Home Depot. I don't know how much money he has. I just know he owns the Atlanta Falcons football team. So, in 1978, that was a bad day. Turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to these guys. And something we talked about this last series was this. We often don't interpret very well the voice of God. Have you ever said, God told me to do this and it didn't turn out very good? Or God told you to do something and, or you thought God told you to do something and you didn't do it? We're not very good at interpreting God's voice, are we? <clears throat> so, again, circumstantial faith is so fragile, and so it's easy for that type of faith to crumble and lose faith. Now, experiences and events are important. God often uses an event or set of circumstances to initiate our faith in my wife tells this story. She was 12 years old. She went to uh, a church camp. And it, during that church camp, she became so convicted by the Holy Spirit that she was a sinner and she needed God's forgiveness and she accepted that faith. Now, that was a wonderful experience. It began her walk with Jesus, but it isn't the foundation of her faith or, uh, or, or mine. I told you a story about when I was 17 and it was so emotional to me that God was calling me to be, you know, in, in full-time church ministry. But that's not the found, that decision, that commitment is not the foundation of my faith. So, put it on your outline. Those are moments are never designed to be that. They're wonderful. We can look back on them. Uh, they can encourage our faith, but they're never designed to be the foundation of our faith. <clears throat> so, Circumstantial faith will eventually fail you. Every time it'll fail you. I'll give you a couple big reasons why. One, because the sorrows and tragedies of life will eventually cause life not to make sense. It just won't. Um, example from our lives, and people have been around our church for a while, 
our daughter-in-law Erin got cancer, and three small children uh, died at age 33. Does that make sense? Anybody? Leave my our son and their three kids without a mom. That makes no sense. If your foundation, your faith is on circumstances, you lose your faith. Now, I'm thankful to people in this church. It didn't have that effect on us. The other thing is the pleasures of life, this is big too, will eventually cause our belief system to become inconvenient. You ever notice that? See, you have to give up something, right, in this faith walk. You have to give up something. You can't do both. You can't do everything. You have to give up something. And we're pretty weak, aren't we? And so why aren't we all healthier than we are? Why aren't we, you know, why don't we stick to our, our diets? And why don't we stick to our exercise program? And spiritually speaking, why don't we stick to the commitments we make uh, to God, if we made commitments to God. And so, <clears throat> eventually, because of our nature and because we're, I guess, lazy by nature, most of us, we're going to opt for pleasure over that, use the word sacrifice, that you have to make uh, in, in faith. <clears throat> so, the bottom line of this is that whatever you believe that you let go of or cease to believe, it probably wasn't worth believing in the first place, unfortunately. So, what is the foundation of our faith if you're a Jesus follower? If you're not, you need to figure out what it is. So the foundation of Christianity is not getting your prayers answered. It's not circumstances always turning out like you want. It's not God doing whatever you think he should do. It's not. We're going to look at two verses quickly because I know we don't have much time. And they're out of a book in the Bible called Hebrews. Now, Hebrew was written to Jewish believers. Once you a Jew became a believer, you didn't know you went to the temple or the synagogue, so you had no place to worship. You were uh, initially during this time frame, you were persecuted. Uh, you probably might have lost your job. It just wasn't convenient to be a Jesus follower in the first century. And on top of that, this group of people began to believe the fact that Jesus was going to come back today. So they sold their possessions. I don't know, should have just gave them away. If they're not going to be here, they're going to need the money, whatever. But they sold their possessions. And so they're waiting for Jesus to come back today, and he didn't come back today. So, well, maybe, it'll just, maybe it's tomorrow. Didn't come back tomorrow. So after days and weeks of this belief, the people started to lose their faith. Makes sense, right? Now, one thing they forgot when, they, uh, when Jesus said he was coming back, he said, tell the whole world about me, then I'll come back. And they kind of let that part out. And consequently, the world hasn't been told even up to, to this day, so Jesus hasn't come back. So they were losing their faith based on this misinterpretation of what Jesus was teaching. And so the author is trying to tell them, oh, wait, wait, wait. You need to get this straight. You need to get it correct. So here's Hebrews 4.14. He's been trying to make his case in the first three chapters. Then he says that, inasmuch then as we believers, again, he's writing to Jesus followers, 
have, in the present tense, have a great high priest. Now, in our religious system, we don't have priests, Catholicism and some others, and, and in those faiths, people consider that important. But a priest, we, we label as someone who's an intermediary, somebody who can uh, talk to God for us. And in our faith tradition, we believe that Jesus is our high priest, so he talks to God for us. And he said, this Jesus has already ascended and passed through the heavens. That's, that means he came to earth, he lived a perfect life, he suffered, he died, he rose and ascended into heaven. All right? I'll summarize in that statement. So Jesus is the Son of God. So consequently, not because he didn't come back today, or because he was coming back today, or not because of this, or not because of that, but because of this, let us hold fast our confession of faith, our belief, and cling tenaciously to our absolute trust in him as Savior. Their lives were really tough, and it was easy for them to, to lose their faith. And our lives, most of our lives, aren't that tough, but the last year has been tougher than usual. And the author is saying, don't stop believing. Don't give up your faith. Why? Why? What is he saying? What's the reason? The foundation of our faith is something that happened in history. You know, there's some revisionist history. People try and change history. You know, history is history. You know, George Washington was the first president. You know, history is history. Well, the, Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life. He suffered, died, and rose again. Conquered death. That's history. That foundation of our faith. So our foundation is a person. It's Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, is sitting now at the right hand of the, of the Father. It's not what we see. It's not what we experience. It's not what we feel. Feelings change. He says, continue to believe. Now, I don't know about you, but the little stories of, that inspire my faith aren't the quote-unquote miracles that happen. You know, I had the growth and now it's gone. That's great. I, I love the fact that God does miracles. But that's not what really inspires me. What really inspires, is me, inspires me is when somebody, something bad happens to somebody, like Aaron dying, and people still believe, or despite that belief. Because the foundation isn't that God does what we want Him to do. Our foundation of our faith is what Jesus already did for us. And so that's what inspires me. When people are faithful, even in the toughest times, a uh, guy in the Old Testament, this is before Jesus, he said, God, you can even kill me, but I'll still trust you. So why? Why would I ever doubt God's care for me? Why would my faith, in other words, say it, ever waver? Because of what Jesus has already done for me. Not because I have good circumstances, things are turning out like I want. So, your faith, whether it's in Christianity or something else, your faith is resting on something. And if you're a Christian, it could be resting on one of these things I've already mentioned. But again, a warning. If it's, your faith is in anything else than the resurrected Jesus, it will eventually fail you. 
It will. God's love for us is bigger than, than any circumstance. And so he's saying to you and to I, and to me, excuse me, trust me, trust me, trust me. I sent my only son to suffer and die for you. I think that's enough to warrant your trust. Now, that video we saw was in Hebrews 11. It lists a bunch of people in the Old Testament that, that, that God uh, uh, favored because of their faith. And then he gets to the next chapter and he says, okay, so you need to hang in there. You need, he used the term run. <laughs> and as a runner, I appreciate that word. So run with your faith. How do we do that? And we're going to end with this. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the foundation, right? The champion who initiates, it means brings us into a relationship with God and then perfects our faith or grows that relationship. And again, it, just, it summarizes what Jesus did. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarded the shame. Now he's seated at a place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people back when he was crucified and over the last 2,000 years. Then, then what? Then you won't become weary and give up. So our foundation of our faith is not in our prayers getting answered the way we want. It's not in our experience. It's not in our emotion. Our foundation of our faith is a resurrected Jesus. So, you can trust him. You can trust him about that health issue. You can trust him about that financial issue. You can trust him about that relationship issue. Now, here's my assignment for you, and I really would appreciate you folks would do this for me. Really help me and us, I think, in this, in this series. I would like you to send me, somehow text it to me, uh, put it on a connect card, whatever. How would you define faith? Now, I don't want a dictionary definition. I want you to just, out of your experiences, out of your mind, out of your thinking, give me your definition of faith. It'll be exciting to see what you folks all, all come up with. Let me pray with you and then I'll let you go. Father God, thank you. We thank you so much that the foundation of our faith is solid. Jesus tells that story about the guy building, uh, uh, one guy builds his house on the sand and one on the rock. It's a lot harder to build on the rock. But then the storm comes. Which one, le which one stood? And the house on the sand was washed away. It was lost. And so, God, when we build our, our faith system, our belief system on anything other than you, it will eventually get lost. It'll fail us. But we thank you that we have a solid rock foundation in you, Jesus. You will never fail us. As always, we'd like to pray for anyone that is considering Christianity, considering a relationship with you, God, that this would be the time that they would acknowledge the fact that, yeah, their belief system has failed them and uh, it hasn't given them all the purpose and meaning in life that they would like. And they're willing to say, Jesus, I want you to be the foundation of my faith. I encourage you to step across that line Accept that gift from, and please let us know about that decision so we can help you. God, most people I know are listening to me are believers. 
They believe in Jesus. Uh, at least some of the time, though, our faith is built on other things. Uh, forgive us for that. And uh, doubts cre creep in. And, and God, we thank you that you don't abandon us when we <laughs> doubt you. So God, I, I would pray for each person that they would take serious this, this question about how do they understand, how would they define faith? And is it circumstantial or is it a solid foundation? We thank you that you love us enough to send Jesus to suffer horribly and literally die so that we might have relationship with you, God. We thank you that, Jesus, you are a high priest interceding us for us with the Father. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.